0: This election's dramatic swing to National came at a cost for Pacific Island representatives. Labour had 12 Pacifica members of Parliament over its last three-year term, including former Deputy PM Carmel Sepuloni. But National only has one, Angie Nicholas, and she's only just hanging on
1: by a handful of votes. She may yet lose her Te 2 seat once the special votes come in. Here's my question to National. Who is it exactly that you're going to have as a minister for Pacific people? Because if Angie doesn't get in and neither does Agnes, then who? Because you don't have any Pacific people in there. Chris Luxon has said he has a party of diversity. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just not the case.
2: Our position very strongly is I've been supportive of the Pacific People's Ministry. I haven't been supportive of the management of it. I think when you have a $40,000 farewell, I think that's insane.
0: I would love to be able to obviously represent and be the voice of the Pacific People as, as a Minister, um, but can't say anything at this point in time. Kia ora, I'm Susana Suisuki. I usually host RNZ's Pacific Waves, but today I'm at the detail looking at the lack of Pacific MPs in the new government and why it's a problem. Joining me is AUT University's Culture Lecturer, Richard Pamatatau, in this new government, it's looking like there'll be possibly two or even zero Pacifica representation. What will this mean for our community? Should we really be that worried?
2: So if we look at National over a period of time, it has had four MPs who we know had Pacific heritage. Beginning with Anai Arthur Anai, he was National's first Pacific MP. Then he was followed by Peseta Sam Lotuienga and Alfred Ngaro and then Agnes Lohini, who got in in 2019 on the list. So National doesn't have a great track record in terms of Pacific candidates. And actually, when I have spoken to Anai Arthur Anai and Peseta Sam Loto I Inga, they both talked about the difficulties of being inside National and how they were, in many ways, expected to perform in a particular way. And so that really speaks to how National thinks about this particular population group. I got the call from Sir John that I was being elevated to Cabinet. What portfolios? And I said, corrections. And she said, jeepers. What did you do wrong? (laughs) But some would see corrections as a poison chalice. I believe it was a true honour.
0: To the 10,000 men and
2: women who serve in corrections, some risking their lives every day, I salute you. It was a privilege to be your minister despite the challenges, and there were many, in that portfolio. On another level, though, it was under Sudan McKinnon that the Ministry of Pacific People was formed. So there have been people inside National who have thought about this particular population group. And some time ago, Judith Collins, uh, who is married to a Samoan, um, also was trying to find candidates. So it's not that National hasn't tried. It has... But it hasn't seemed to find the candidates who it puts up high enough on the list to be in whether or not they have an electorate. And the broader issue there is if National wants to have a Pacific MP, for want of a better term, in a safe electorate, then why haven't they got the Pacific person standing on the North Shore? or in East Coast Bays, or in Tamaki, or in any of the really blue seats. So there's a problem there, and the problem for nationalists, it assumes that a person of Pacific ethnicity would necessarily stand in what we think are the Pacific seats, so South Auckland seats. But that's a problematic because we don't ever talk about the white people's seats, do we? We talk about the Pacific seats. I've never heard anybody say the North Shore is the white people's seats or Remuera people are white people who vote for national. I've never heard that. So I think there's a, a definitional problem that we need to be thinking about
0: yeah well throughout the years that Pacifica candidates have stood for national as well as other right-leaning minor parties you know they go on about that the values within their party aligns more with the community but yet we don't see an increase of Pacifica candidates or supporters why do you think that is
2: The values of many Pacific families, though, do align with national. There is a conservatism there with the church-going families. There is uh, a love of hierarchy, particularly in conservative Pacific families, and there is a sense of duty. But at the same time, I think there's also a sense of independence and mana that won't be recognised in national. And to be fair to Labour, it has really recognised how it can milk the Pacific population for votes. And increasingly over time, it's got better at um, elevating Pacific people into cabinet, into more important roles. And, And I think that's a really interesting thing for people to consider. Plus, there is more of a comfort with diversity within the Labour Party. So if you look at national, it's not exactly a diverse party. You look at Labour, it does have more diversity. And then we need to talk about the Greens because Te Ano was there and other people have tried, Leilani Tamu tried to be a candidate and now Efeso Collins is there and the Greens are also much more diverse. So I think maybe within National, there's a fear of what people don't look like or how we need them to look more like us. Let's also just recognise that NZ First has had, as far as I know, two Pacific candidates. There was Derek Ball a few years ago and then Asanati Loli Taylor. So uh, Mr Peters has obviously reached out to that population. All I'm saying to you here, if I was a Fijian or a Samoan, somebody from Niue and somebody from, um, for that matter, Nauru, no. I respect the people to walk in and respect my country's culture and I understand that. We, we are here to treat these people as equals, not as some senior soldiers who know best, as they're very equal. On that basis we're going to make a lot of progress. Why doesn't National recognise the value of the Pacific MP, that's your question, It would be easy to argue that they don't understand how that population works. It would also be easy to argue that within national, there is an embedded kind of racism. And Anai Arthur I has spoken about the way people look at you and Paseta Sam Lotui Inge has said similar things. Alfred Ngaro said to me when he lost... His bid for the Auckland City Council, that it was time to get out of the sandpit and play in the big world. I think he found it quite difficult, but he also said, I will do whatever they want me to do. I will be the person who goes to every opening, every closing. But I think once he was deeper inside, he found it a little difficult.
1: Why have you left the National Party?
2: Well, the truth is is that um, I haven't left the party. The party has left me in regards to my values and my views. I mean, I am proudly a conservative. Uh, I've got Christian conservative values as well. But over the last three years, we've seen that move. And it's not just me. It's been a number of us that have come to the point where we realise that actually we can no longer stand and support the party because actually those values have changed. Angie, National's possible only Pacific candidate is a very smart young woman. She's a law graduate from AUT. She's worked in Nikki Kaye's office. She's worked for the inquiry into abuse and care. So she is politically aware. She's also, from what I know of her, quite a quick learner. So I imagine if she has the right support around her, she will be a very effective MP. And we have to hope that National will recognise that and support her in a way, and not leave her hanging out to dry, and not make her, if you like, the cultural boombox for national going on and, and being the brown representative at things.
0: You have right, leaning commentators, saying that the last government had a staggering number of Pacific MPs, and the outcomes for the community didn't really improve. Do you buy into that narrative?
2: I don't buy into the narrative that the number of Pacific MPs equals outcomes for the community because that's a really shallow way of looking at things. What's good for all New Zealanders is good for the Pacific population, is good for the Asian population. What we need to grapple with is some of the specific needs of the Pacific population, and and it's really easy for us to define it as South Auckland. That does not take into account middle class and upper middle class Pacific Island voters. Do you think that Mike Perot needs special treatment? Does Colin Tukuitonga deserve special treatment? These people who are successful and happen to be islanders. The problem is, I think there are still many areas of that population that need extra work. But that's not because they are Pacific. It's because of socioeconomic factors. It's, it's demographic stuff. And Pacific is just part of that. Being a person of Pacific ethnicity does not code you for certain things, but being a Pacific person who has perhaps less education, lower socioeconomic status, et cetera, et cetera, does place you in a position where you will need extra support. But that has been coming, and there's been work done on that.
0: Also joining in on the telanoa is Kalia Strong, a senior journalist at Pacific Media Network. Kalia recently moderated the Pacific Candidates election debate, a collaboration between RNZ Pacific and PMN News. I started off asking Kalia... What were her thoughts on mainstream media's coverage of
1: Pacifica issues? I think they were mainly overlooked. Like when when we talk mainstream and this is you know everyone's trying to do the best job but you are going to your your audience your listener base so especially if it was something like news talk ZB they tend to be a more right leaning listener audience and perhaps those with higher incomes and those um that are more likely to vote national this is this is just being very broad here but but that does seem to be the white, slightly upper-middle-class listenership that that it does appeal to. And so when you have discussions around um, are there inequities in the health system and uh, what about school outcomes, it suddenly becomes this, you know, why do Pacific children have the lowest attendance instead of figuring out what are the driving factors behind that? And, And no person wakes up and says... I, I don't want to send my kids to school just for the sake of it, or I don't want to feed my children, or, you know, it's, no one wants to have the struggle. And so I think sometimes when you look at it from a mainstream perspective, it becomes too black and white, when, when really, as we know as Pacific journalists, it's much more nuanced.
0: Do you think there were some missed opportunities, though? I mean, one of the things that I noticed in both One News and News Hub's election coverage was the lack of Pacific commentators on that panel. I was quite baffled because... We had a Pacific Deputy Prime Minister, we had so many Pacific MPs, and then the News Hub political editor you know, made a comment. She said something along the lines of, oh, who is this national candidate that's standing for Te Atitu? Do we always have to fill in the gaps when it comes to mainstream media to serve our Pacific audiences?
1: I think it's a constant fight to make sure our, our voice is heard, and interesting you bring up the TV debates, because I feel like the questions that were from the public quite often were from Pacific people, and then... Annoyingly, their answers, their questions weren't answered. It turned into like this back and forth between between the leaders about who'd done a worse job or who was, you know, rather than actually answering the person's question. So it was it was a source of frustration. But I think it almost exacerbates the concept that. Are we actually hearing, are we actually listening to the issues? Or does it get kind of sidetracked into a different political narrative? Would the lack
0: of Pacific MPs then be an incentive for this new government to abolish the Ministry for Pacific peoples? It'll be quite awkward if a non Pacific person was its minister,
1: right? Yeah, and and we we actually had David Seymour on our our programs, and get our host Gabby Solomon hit him up about speaking for Pacific peoples. As we know, Pacific people already have a marginalised voice, and when someone comes in and tries to speak for them, that we know that's problematic. You know, speaking of disrespect, a lot, a lot of uh, Pacific people feel a bit disrespected uh, by the comment or that that or the joke
0: that you said that you made. Uh, you know, about um, uh, the Guy Fawkes joke. You know, in terms of bombing. Um, uh, the Ministry of Pacific Peoples. Um, have you changed your, your stance on, um, on any apology or, or any of that?
1: Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I'll give you some feedback I got uh, just yesterday. Um, proud of you and your team, David, strong leadership. I'm one of many women in Samoans who detest condescending diversity appointments, so stay strong. New Zealand needs you and your team. So, you know, you said something earlier about it's no secret about how Pacific people think. First of all, I I actually just want to challenge you gently on that. I, I don't think all Pacific people think the same. There's a range of views. So there are Pacific people who agree with me and Pacific people who disagree with me. And so we know the importance of having a ministry that's that's been set up since the 1970s. That space was fought for. And yes, there has been questions, rightly so, about spending recently, but that shouldn't erode the the reason that it was set up. There there is still a valid reason for there to be a ministry for women, a ministry for people with disabilities, a ministry for um, smaller ethnic groups. We, We need this because there hasn't been that voice. So to disestablish a ministry is actually quite difficult to do under the MMP system. So I think probably what would be at stake would be significant funding cuts to that area. And and then what does that mean for the language weeks that we celebrate each week? Or what about some of the internal workings that perhaps we don't see on the front, but this is what the ACT Party has come out and said um, could be at stake or these jobs could be on the cutting block. On the flip side, though, when does representation start to
0: feel tokenistic? Wouldn't it make sense to worry about the quality of who gets to represent us rather than having to feel reassured that there's X amount of people that
1: look like us in Parliament? This is a, this is a great question because it's like you can't just put a brown person in a role. This, this is where that tokenism comes in. So it needs to – what I really loved was when ACT's Karen Shaw was – was brought into Parliament, I, I looked at her and I thought she knows struggle. She knows what it's like to come from a background where you've had social services involved and to have childhood trauma and to see how that plays out. So I think she could be a wonderful advocate in that space. Um, whether that voice will fit within the ACT Party's um, values, I, I don't know. But I, I feel like, yes, we need we need diversity of experience and especially when we talk about Pacific representation, how many of these MPs have experienced struggle? How many have w- walked into a win's office? How many have had, you know, relationship breakdowns or or, or things that are th- these cultural nuances where you kind of don't speak up for the greater good, or, or you might be carrying the the family burden for for other areas. So I think all of these things. Um, need that life experience, which perhaps we don't have if you're in this position of privilege that comes from being in Parliament.
0: And what do you think about the momentum that was spurred on by the Dawn Raids apology? Do you think this is the last time we'll be talking about the overstayers' amnesty, considering National's strong stance to not have it at all?
1: I'm shaking my head at this because it crashed and burned and it was this carrot that was dangled weeks, days before the election that wasn't going to happen and I think it was a last ditch effort for Pacific votes, an extra slap in the face to find out that it could be rolled out in the first hundred days Why did it take two years then since the apology? So it it did ring hollow and I think um, yeah, we we had that um, absolute frustration that come through from the Pacific community Why is this taking so long? Why so late? And, And then for others Does it go far enough? Well, I mean, you have to
2: think about everything that has been expected of Immigration New Zealand in the last couple of years and the immense pressure that they have been under uh, with respect to resuming business as usual. And above that, uh, given the borders being closed and then the reopen, uh, the requirement for additional visas uh, because of the workforce shortages that we've been experiencing, a range of other things that Immigration New Zealand have been engaged with. Uh, That has meant that some of the work that we might have wanted to see done earlier hasn't been done, but we've said as a party this will be done in the first hundred days if we are re-elected.
1: We did an exit, well, exit interview, I guess you could call it, with um, Anahila Kanongataa. I remember her at the dawn raids, and she was leading the, the delegation with then Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, and she was weeping. She carries the emotion of the pacific people when she is in her role and I think it will be a huge loss actually to have her out of Parliament and kudos to the Green party for always sticking up for this and they've always been they've been advocating for this for years and to still not see it go through must be very very frustrating and just to wrap up what is
0: your message to our community who are feeling super nervous and anxious about what's ahead
1: I think this is an adjustment time but I think also Pacific communities, we need to realise that politics isn't everything. You know, politics isn't, um, yes, it affects our daily lives, but it doesn't affect who we are as people. And people always say, oh, you know, Pacific people are so resilient. But I think that heart, our families, all of that will continue to go on. So I I think sometimes we almost give too much power. And um, Ranji from the Salvation Army, he actually called it, kind of white saviorism. we kind of put the government as this person that's going to feed us and pay us and, and look after us, but we have those tools ourselves. Yes, some of them are made more difficult under existing structures, but... But I, I think yeah, the government isn't there to to be our, our parent. They're there to to support systems. But we've got we've got the tools to make it happen. How easy that is or isn't, yeah, does does revolve slightly around the government. We talk about representation. It's like, come on, where are these voices? And I know that um, some of the people at my work are on the board at their high schools, and it's like, yes, you know, they're still sometimes the only. Pacific or brown person in the room and, and I hate that that's still a thing I, I hate that it's still like first Pacific woman to be Deputy Prime Minister and so I think as our population is shifting to one that is more diverse get ready New Zealand because we are going to have a more Maori and Pacific population and is our future government ready to to make sure we've got equitable outcomes for everyone I'm
0: Susana Suisweke, and you've been listening to The Detail, which is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Producers for this episode were Alexia Russell, Bonnie Harrison, and Sharon Brett Kelly. Many thanks to our sound engineer, William Saunders, and last but not least, Fafitai Tele lover to Richard Pamatatao and Kalia Strong. To Fa Soifua.